Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 218. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he once met the cast of Silicon Valley at a burger place, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up, everybody? Pat Flynn here. Thank you so much for joining me again on another episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm really excited because today I'm talking to the founder and CEO of Teachable.com, a platform that you can use to create online courses that is not a WordPress plugin, but uh, we're gonna talk all about what it is and how it can help you. I'm actually using it myself for a number of different things, including the free course that you can get when you pick up my book, Will It Fly, and future courses that are coming out on the site. And we're gonna be going over some of the uh, awesome features, but not only that, I really wanted to dive into what makes a course great. What are some of the best practices that you can incorporate into your online course, no matter what platform you use to serve it, as well as, and more importantly, how do you get people in that course to take action, to follow through? Because I know, especially in the space that I'm in, that not everybody who takes courses actually follows through. And one of the best things you can do is have people who get results from your courses. So uh, when that happens, obviously, you have happy customers, but happy customers share your word. They evangelize your business and they will help grow your customer base even more. And it just becomes this amazing loop where your business just continues to grow exponentially. So the best thing you can do is get results for your students. But how do you do that? Well, we talked to Teachable founder. His name is Ankur Nagpal today, and uh, he and I met at FinCon a couple years ago in St. Louis, and he and I just had a chat, he showed me the platform, that was my first introduction to it. Back then it was called Fedora, um, and we talk about the history of the change in, in branding and what that meant and what all that entailed and the um, kind of impact that that had on its business too, which was actually a really insightful uh, bit of conversation we had in this interview. So why don't I just stop talking and we'll get right into the interview. So here we go, this is Ankur Nagpal from teachable.com. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Super stoked to bring on Ankur Nagpal from Teachable. He is the founder and CEO of Teachable, and you might have heard me say Teachable several times in the recent past because it is a core software that I'm actually using right now 
to provide a free course for those who end up purchasing Will It Fly, which has been working out really great. We'll talk about that too. But uh, I will be using it also for some of the future courses I'll be coming out with. So Anker, welcome to, uh, to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Pat. Excited to be here, man. Yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, you guys, you, you talk about the the origin story of Teachable. Actually, it wasn't even actually called Teachable uh, b- nope. before. So, can you kind of take us through that journey really quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I started Teachable, and at the time, it was called Fedora. It's funny. It's not one of those things where you have this vision and you know I wanted to build this company. It was entirely organic. I had some free time. I was teaching courses on Udemy at the time, right? I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I put up a couple of courses on Udemy, which for those of you that don't know, is a marketplace. Anyone can create a course, list it out there. And I saw some potential. I started making, you know, $1,000 on a good month, $2,000. And like any entrepreneur, I thought to myself, how can I take this $2,000 a month and 10 exit or 5 exit? Mm -hmm. And it turns out when you're on a marketplace where you don't have someone's email address, you can't really drive traffic to it. The price points are really low. There was no way that I could find to scale up that business. So what I then did was, you know, I know how to code a little bit. I'm not a great programmer. I built a really simple website to sell my course and the course of my partner at the time. And that's all it was, right? It was just one single website to sell our own course. And it did a lot better. Like we launched for the first week, made a couple thousand dollars, except now we kept 100% of it. And that's when I started thinking like, okay, you know, if we like this, if we want to use this, there's probably more people out there. And we started you know, recruiting and soliciting people one at a time to start using this new experimental product. And that's kind of you know, what then became Fedora. We raised money and you know, then became Teachable. Yeah, so it went through the whole startup process with, yep. with, with rounds and stuff like that. To talk, talk us through that. I think a lot of people don't understand kind of what's involved with that. Was that like a stressful time? Was that a fun, exciting time? Yep. You? Um, so I will preface this with I had a bit of an unfair advantage in the fact that one, I you know went to school in California in the Bay Area, but in the at the time I also built you know Facebook applications that made revenue, and in the process I had connections in Silicon Valley that I could leverage. So it wasn't quite the same as someone starting from scratch, but at the same time, you know personally to me the most important thing about funding was it's when this idea became real in my mind because until then when I was messing around with this platform. I didn't feel comfortable committing to it 100%. And the reason we didn't raise money for a long time was because that what that indirectly signaled is I will not get distracted by the next shiny thing. I will not decide. I want to do another side hustle. Mm-hmm. So for me, the funding was most important because it signified to my friends and people I raised money from that this is what I want to spend the next five, seven, ten years of my life. Once I did that, that was the hardest part. Once I did that, the actual fundraising was not super difficult because one, you know, I knew people, but secondly, what we did is we had some kind of traction. We were processing about $50,000 in course sales every month, which is not a ton, but for a brand new company with one person, that was enough to get noticed and enough for people to be like, okay, you know, like clearly I'm investing in some kind of a business and not a pretty PowerPoint deck about, you know, the next mobile app. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 50,000 course uh, course sales from like the people who are using this yep, software. How, how, how many people were using it at the time? At the time, there were about tens of people making money every month. So I want to say about 30 to 40. <laughs> yeah, tens of people making money every month. We had a few hundred signups. But even from those people, we had got about half of the people on Udemy, half of Udemy's top 20 instructors were using us, right? Which was that first kind of flame that ignited the business and made people think like, okay, there's something over here. How did you reach out to those people? 
Oh man, so there was so much rejection early on. So first I was, I'd look at the list of people doing well and then it was just cold outreach. Like, hey, you know, we'd started using this. Is this interesting? And it was really interesting. At first people ignored those emails because they're like, what is this? I get solicited all the time. Mm-hmm. But very early on into while we're doing this, Udemy decided to change their revenue share from 70-30 to 50-50. And that was a huge betrayal of trust to a lot of instructors. And legitimately, like that, the day that happened and the following days, that just turned our business around because we went from, you know, three people, three instructors to like 20 because everyone's like, okay, I want to, you know, like, like I feel unsafe putting my entire business on Udemy. Like mm-hmm. now I see why I might need an alternative. So for us as a, I mean, at the time I didn't even know it was a startup, but that was huge. And that was just incredibly fortunate because we didn't plan it. It just one of those things that happened. That's awesome. And then in terms of your first round, how much did you guys raise? If you don't mind me asking. So we ra- yep. So we raised our first round was a million dollars. Nice. Um, Yep, we raised a million dollars in we raised a million dollars in in July of twenty fourteen. Then we raised another million in December of twenty fourteen, and we just raised another two and a half million. Nice, congrats. When, yeah. when you raise you know venture capital like that, so you get a million bucks. What's like the first thing you do besides kind of just jump for joy? Like, what do you? <laughs> how do you start using that money, or should you even? So, so, I mean, the first thing is like, okay, we need to hire people because at the time, this was a company of one and our technology was terrible at the time. Like it was something I'd built, you know, I'm a program, I could build stuff and I'm not a good programmer. So the first thing, legitimately the first thing we did was the people I'd been talking to about, because I, I already started, to, when fundraising, you play this weird game where you try and hire employees saying, look, I have the money coming. You tell your investors, look, I have the employees coming. And mm-hmm. you kind of try and make both these parts work together. So as soon as you know we had the money, we immediately hired two amazing developers, both of whom are still here with the company today. One of them is now our CTO. Um, and we spent legitimately all of the money just on building the product. Like we didn't have it. Like early on, like the product is the only thing that matters. We didn't spend money on ads. We didn't spend money on parties. We didn't spend money on anything that you know was not paying people to build a product. Mm-hmm. Great, and and then okay, so from there you grow. You're 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 at uh, Fedora, right? Where where yep. did that name come from? So, I'd been burnt in startup or startup projects in the past where I spent so long agonizing over the perfect name that this time we picked a name just and picked just, a name. I, just picked a name. Yeah, um, which was a terrible reason to pick a name, but at the t- it still beats like you know just stressing over a name right. when you don't even have a business right and not not actually making progress in what yep. it is your solution is but then you changed yep. recently to to teachable which is, is a yep. great name um and what was that brand shift like first of all how many people did you have on fedora and what was it like switching over was there any sort of angst or or, or negative consequences of switching over Absolutely none, which makes me realize we should have done this so much before. Um, so, I mean, it was a it was a painful process in terms of there's so many little things that need to be updated. There's a lot of like small tasks entailed. Yeah. But bigger picture, you know, our conversion rates went up with just that, which makes me think like, wow, we should have done this earlier, right? It's the easiest bump in a conversion rate we've ever gotten just because we went from, and I, I remember our, our URL was usefedora.com, which is not even fedora.com. Went from usefedora.com to teachable.com. So our conversion rates went up um, pretty much like 95% of people thought it was a very positive change, which whenever you make a big change is about as good as it works out. Um, So there really weren't any significant downsides. The only downside I would say is 
it cost us too much time internally to pick a name. Like, I cry when I think about the company hours we've wasted in a <laughs> meeting where everyone has ideas. Like, one of the big mistakes I made as a leader was making it at first like, hey, guys, let's like 15 of us sit down and think of a name, which is stupid. It's such a waste of company resources. And, you know, so we made those kinds of mistakes, but mm. the actual rebrand was as smooth as possible. That's great. And, and, and you know, we'll get into courses and uh, content people can take away from this the, to, to incorporate into their own courses no matter what platforms they use. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the big things I, I definitely want to cover um, and will probably be the primary aspect of the show is how do we get people who take the courses to con- to, to, to actually succeed with them? Um, yep. Because one of the things that has made me successful over time is always thinking about, okay, well, so then what? That's that's yep. my number one thing. So then what? So you get yep. traffic to your website. So then what? Okay, yep. you get people signing up to your email list. Well, so then what? It always makes me think of that next step. And a lot of people feel like the sale or that that course, you know, getting courses into people's hands is the final thing. But then, you know, it's really important nope. to focus <laughs> on what happens after people go in and how you guys actually uh, push people toward the end of that course to find that success. And, and that yep. only will drive up sales and marketing uh, down the road. So you know, we'll, we'll, why don't we get into that right now? Because I think that's what people want to hear. So, Teachable, I know that, how many of you guys are there now working in the company? So, we're 19 right now. 19 right now. Yeah. I, yep. When we first met back in FinCon a couple of years ago in St. Louis, yep. uh, when you took me out to lunch, which was awesome, to introduce this platform to me, you know, that's one of the things I think you've done very well. Like you said, you're kind of making these one to one connections and you're really smart with it. You weren't forceful. You, it's just the long term game is, is in play here. And now I'm kind of working with you guys now, which is really cool. So, when when we first met, I remember you saying that you have specifically thought really, really intentionally about how people go through courses. You've done a lot of research on yep. that. Can you speak on that and how how can people who are listening to this, no matter what platform they use, make sure that their people who are in their courses that they sell actually follow through? Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. So to start at the very beginning, if you remember people in – digital marketing, people who've sold products online, three or four years ago, it was the worst experience ever, right? You had all these complicated sales funnels, you used Infusionsoft, you did so much to get people to a sale, and then you have a really, really ugly members area, mm-hmm. or even worse, you just had them download a whole bunch of files and go figure out whatever the hell you know people want to do with it. That's not my problem. I've made the sale. Um, that's kind of what we started wanting to fix. And one of the things at first that we thought Udemy did a pretty good job in being lightweight yet creating an environment for people to engage with the content. So what we started by doing is like, okay, how can we, how can we give a really good experience to the student, right? How can we make this friendly? How can we like, you know, how can we make this look like a website that was designed in 2016 and not something that was a legacy of, you know, like, you know what I mean? A lot of these websites look like they were built in 95. So we started, we started from a design perspective, like what can we do to completely simplify the interface and put students through, you know, a learning pattern that has small reinforcement steps at small steps of reinforcement at every step. So right from how can we break lectures into smaller digestible chunks so that people get a sense of accomplishment watching five or six minute videos on the go? How can we put a progress bar there so they can see the progress bar keep moving forward? How can we add discussion and engagement and community so that the students feel like they're a part of something that's not just you know information being thrown at them? The whole power of online courses that we have and the reason it's so exciting is it can do what books can't do. It can do what, you know, traditional mediums could not do. And that's 
the big challenge you know ahead of us and as much as i think we do a good job simplifying the interface giving people those positive senses of reinforcement we're still so early like i think we have so much more work to do as an industry as a space this is still you know like we're still in the dark ages of what this format what this platform is going to evolve into mm-hmm. what are some of the challenges that course takers have sometimes that kind of stops yep. them from moving forward yep um so the biggest one and we all we all i face this too is very often course taking taking a course is a little bit like a gym membership it's something you want to do it's something you know you should do mm-hmm. yet you don't do it and that's that's something you know that I think, yeah, like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels actually with the fitness industry because even when you think about when people buy courses, what we've found is people aren't really buying the course. What they're buying is the after picture. You know, they're like say the courses how to build you know how to build an iPhone app. They're not buying that knowledge. They're buying the vision of them building iPhone apps. Mm-hmm. And with that said, you know, that's the first thing I would tell people to focus on while designing an engaging course is like have a very strong transformation. Have an after picture. Like make it incredibly clear to a student what is the, you know, what they get at the end of the course. And it's gotta be stronger than, you know, a requirement to finish a course the way it is in a university. It's gotta be something compelling, either either some kind of change that can affect in their life or something that leads to a better outcome for their professionally. And identifying and kneeling down that transformation, that outcome, I think is the first step in order to have students actually, you know, want to go through the course. Yeah, absolutely. For me, the most successful courses that I've taken, the the ones that have helped me the most are the ones that I take specifically because I know it's going to help me accomplish something uh, exact. Um, You know, uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, for example, has a very uh, high-end course called Podcasting A to Z, but you know that when you take that by the end of it at Z, you're going to have a podcast. It's very clear, and if you don't, then something's up, and that's great as a content producer because that's the thing that you want to focus on for me, I've tried and I've failed with the sort of membership model, continuity, yep. just pumping content every single month type of thing. Not to say that that's bad. A lot of people do very well with that. Uh, Chris Ducker from Upreneur, yep. the guys over at Fizzle.co, Internet Business Mastery. That's where I got my start. Um, but yep. when I tried it myself, it just, first of all, people weren't sure if they were getting results because it was good information. But where were yep. where was I taking them? And then secondly, as a content producer, I felt like I had I was forcing content into there yep. just to keep up with it. But whether there's two That's, videos or a hundred videos, as long as I know what that final end result is, it's better for everybody. Yep. So you, so you touched on three very interesting points. I'm going to try and remember them all. The first interesting thing that you said is you completed the high-end course. And that's something we notice every time. We've done all of this. What I'm saying right now is based on real data. It's not based on, you know, just guesses. Real data, every time we run the math, however we run it, the more people pay for a course, even if it's the same course, the more they take it, the higher their satisfaction, the less likely sometimes to ask for a refund when you charge more money, which is such an interesting thing it you is. know, psychologically. But one of the big challenges we have with a lot of course creators is kind of drilling down like your course is worth more than you think it is, especially when you're a first time course creator where you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, people are always so down on themselves that we have to push people up being like, don't sell your course for 20 bucks, because when you do that, not only are you not going to make that much money, no one's going to watch your course. And most of our data, you know, kind of confirms that that the same course, when you price it higher, 
more people watch it. So that's the first interesting thing you pointed out. The second thing was the membership model stuff. And that's fascinating to me because when we've run the data, we've seen most membership type models to average only a three month long subscription. And I know there's exceptions, there's a lot of exceptions, but we have a good amount of data. And most of that shows that unless unless it's kind of a legitimate coaching program and not just content, content levels off after three months on average. If you're doing better than that, you're very good. But for most people that, you know, I would recommend selling individual products versus membership sites just based on our data. It's possible that our data is like biased or we don't have enough people that are good at membership sites. But from our data, it's just so much harder, so much harder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's two things. The price, which I do have some questions on. The membership model, you said there were three things that I mentioned. Oh, on. man, I'm trying, to th- I'm trying to think of the I know, I can, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But let, let me continue asking you about price, though. Like, yep. how would one, how would you suggest one determine what their price is? Yes, you shouldn't price it too low, of course. There's perceived value there that, that is lost if you do, if you do that. Um, but how do you, how do you determine oh, what yes. that right price is? Oh, yes. Now I remember is? the, oh, this, it's actually interesting. This question ties into the third thing you said, where you're like, yeah, it doesn't matter if there's like two videos or a hundred videos. And that's kind of the same thing with pricing the focus should be on the outcome too many people for instance want to price on hours of video content and i think that's a terrible idea because you know we think of courses as being a shortcut to an outcome say you want to you know be a iphone or say you want to have a successful podcast that's your outcome Mm -hmm. the reason people pay for a course is they want to get there faster so if you can take someone there in four hours Putting 40 hours of content just to make it seem meatier is like you're not doing the job. You're not doing what you're designed to do. You're, as a course, take people to the outcome faster. So I don't think you should price based on hours of content. I think you should price based on what the out, uh, like at least whenever you're, you're justifying your price, justify your price based on the outcome for the student. In terms of specific tangible metrics for pricing, I recommend people very rarely go under $100. I think $99 is probably a good starting point. And as you get comfortable and learn your audience, start moving further up. That's mm-hmm. not to say you can't have you know, a lower priced course if your goal is to have that feed into something else. But if your most expensive course is $19, that's, that's not a great business model. It's just so much, it, you're, just playing, you're just playing life on hard mode for no reason. <laughs> You know, it's funny on sales pages. All, all the t- uh, a lot of times, for especially for courses, I see uh, forty plus videos, twenty seven yeah. hours yeah. of content. And it's because it takes a lot of hard work to make those things. So you want to make sure, as uh, somebody who's creating a sales page, that you show how much work you put into it, right? But you're yeah. absolutely right. I found, for example, Michael Hyatt's course on uh, on five year, uh, five days to a better year. Um, you know, it's a goal setting course. It it's the shortest course I've ever taken. But yeah. it doesn't need to be any longer, and yep. I wouldn't want it to be any longer. Yep. And if you, yeah, if if people want to make it longer, my only recommendation would be like clearly separate out bonus content, right? Like you can have fifteen hours, if twelve hours, or interviews, or whatever, but just make that separate from like the actual course. At least create some kind of visual separation that look, this is bonus stuff. It's not as valuable as the first three hours or whatever. What can somebody do? They if they see somebody who's sort of struggling with a course, and I, and I believe Teachable can do this, right? You can kind of determine where people are at in the progress yep. of the course, which is fantastic. What yep. can one do to kind of reignite somebody to come back in after they've sort of dropped off? So, I mean, there's people that, you know, go a long way setting up autoresponders and trying to move people on based on lecture progress. I think the real 
I think bigger, I think there's a lot of things you can do in terms of, you know, messaging people, connecting mm-hmm. with them, but taking one step back, I think that's something that we as, as an industry are still trying to figure out. And one of the things that's, that's that I've started to see people do more and more to solve a little bit of this is community. So having a cohort of people going through the class at the same time can be one of the, the, the strategies you can use that's effective where you drip out content, say, over a certain cadence, mm-hmm. and you have a weekly coaching call or some kind of thing that happens on a weekly interval where there's a forcing factor for someone to do it, right? So they know that there's a there's free consultation on module one on Friday. So I should try and finish module one on Friday. So that's, you know, one strategy that you can do. Um, Just having a community of people going through the course at the same time. And even something as simple as like, and I've gone back and forth on this because I used to be very anti-drip content. I just felt like you should allow people to access the course all at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I have seen the data when you schedule stuff to be released out um, and you pre-write all the emails just the fact that you're sending six different emails to remind them about the course when each module is released does help engagement. So the kind of happy medium I believe in now is you drip out your course, but if anyone wants to get the content up front, you give it to them. Yeah, I, I see that. I, that's actually what my next question was going to be, which you've answered already, which was what's better, drip content versus versus all at once. Yeah. I think at least giving people the option to see everything if they wanted to uh, is, is kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, and... We recently, only recently built out Drip and Teachable for the same reason, and we didn't do it for the longest time because we weren't sure how, whether, how much sense it made, but then we just tested it and we're like, okay, like there's a noticeable difference in engagement levels. But as soon as we built Drip, like two, three days later, we built an override if you want to give one person instant access because we also got a ton of people saying, look, I'm not a baby. I don't need to be spoon fed stuff. Like, right, 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 you know, right. I want to binge watch this entire thing and then like be done with it. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, we live in the age of Netflix binge watching. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, uh, you're kidding to them too, uh, which is cool. So one of the things I liked about Udemy when I was exploring that as an option way back in the day was the fact that you could have multiple courses on there and, and your courses would kind of cross promote each other, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. And that's awesome that Teachable can help do that. It's essentially creating your own Udemy on your own site. You can yep. have a la carte, all these different courses that can pr- cross promote each other. How, what, what's the best way to, sell somebody a secondary course that you might have. Yep. Um, So to your earlier point, Udemy is great because you can cross-promote your courses. But the reason I moved off Udemy or moved a lot of my business off it is not only was I cross-promoting my courses, I was cross-promoting my competitors' courses. Right, right. Because the best way I've seen um, to get people to buy another product is to give them a great experience. Like, you know, of course there's tactical things you can do. Like, you know, we save credit cards, so it's one-click purchases. And there's a lot of like, you know, funnel, sales funnel type things you can do. But the real answer, the real truth is, you know, have them, if they have had a good experience with your course, like they will buy more from you. You, you know, it's, it's that simple. Like in, in general, like the easiest way, and that's one of the ways courses can compound on themselves as businesses. If you deliver good content, every subsequent course launch of yours will do better. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, yeah, there's no, you know, there's no real hack to have people buy more stuff. Just, you know, deliver, like, deliver good content. And as a secondary thing, the fact that you put it all in the same place does reduce f- friction. Like, if, you know, if they've already taken a course on your account or your school and they have the other one right there, because, I don't know, for whatever reason, 
a lot of the marketing community started creating different sites for different products, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Mm-hmm. So making reducing the purchasing experience just to be on the same place they already are. So if they have one of Pat's courses, they can just take the other one right there, credit card already saved, reducing purchasing friction. And if they like the first course, they will buy the second one. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I, that's one of the most common questions I get is should I put my product on a separate page from my own yeah. website? Um, and, you know, there are exceptions to that. And, you know, if you have your own book, for example, it could live on its own landing page, but it yep. should obviously be on your own website too. But if you have multiple books, uh, it yep. might make sense to have some sort of marketplace where they're all being sold and people can see what else yep. you have to offer and click on the one and buy the one that makes sense for them the most. Yep, absolutely. And at the very least, even if, say, you want a branded page in a different domain or whatever, having people create two different logins to access the inside of it is probably still overkill. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I love about Teachable. You know, even the people who have access to my uh, free Will It Fly course, their username and login is already in the system. So when I come out with new courses, uh, that will already be there and ready for them. Yep, yep. Which is great. Man, Ankur, this is this has been great. It's uh, a lot of a lot of high quality information here. I think a lot of people can take home with them, no matter what platform uh, they use. And obviously, I'm a big fan of Teachable. I'm using it, and I recommend it for for those people who are listening out there. If you want to give it a shot, um, where can people go to get more information about about Teachable? Yep, just Teachable.com/pat. Awesome. I like it. And uh, is there are there any questions that you feel I missed? You know, there's a lot to this online course creation stuff. We covered a lot of great things, but what what am I missing? So the, the biggest thing that I, I always want to stress is at this point, look, we have about two years of data on what's worked, what doesn't work. The biggest reason things don't work and the biggest reason people don't achieve results is they don't take action. And I'm sure you've heard this before. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure this is not a new concept to people listening to this, but Every single time we, we, we've done you know, workshops, webinars, whatever, to get people motivated, get people excited, the biggest reason people don't make progress is you know, they worry about the wrong things. They, they hold themselves back thinking, you know, maybe my slides aren't pretty enough. I said um or ah too many times in the video. Mm-hmm. I, this is, you know, who am I to teach? There's a lot of limiting beliefs. And what I've found that separates the people that succeed from the people that don't is the people that succeed put themselves out there. So what I would recommend to anyone listening is if you are serious about this, you know you want to build an online course, you're doing it for the first time, I would recommend setting a deadline and doing the best you can by that date and getting it out there. Because when you get it out there, when you start talking to people, engaging with your content, that's when you become hooked. That's when you start getting making your content better after seeing you know what they liked, what they didn't like. There's so many people, literally thousands of people, whose courses are in limbo still, where they started doing it, but they just kept tinkering with it, adding stuff to it, removing stuff to it, re-recording, starting from scratch, never ultimately putting themselves out there, launching it and selling it. No matter how bad your first course is, just by launching something, you're at the starting point of the journey. Because the journey only starts when you first hit the publish button and you start trying to get people inside it. And I've just seen too many people kind of fall off before that step that I would urge everyone, you know, to just be hard on themselves, set a very, very strict timeline and do the best you can by then because like that's all that matters. I love it, love it. And that brings up another question. I apologize for keeping going here, but I just want to make sure I cover everything for everybody who's listening. Launching, what's the best way to launch a Teachable course? The best way to launch a Teachable course, and this is probably true for most courses, is you want to have, one, you want to have a launch window. You do not want to leave your course open forever. Um, You want to, 
and there are exceptions, but I'm not going to get into exceptions because like for most people, you want to have a specific timeline of anywhere from four to 10 days where your course is open for enrollment. After that, you, you know, temporarily just close enrollments, collect email leads and open it up again. Um, that's the best way of launching. The most successful teachable teachers or instructors, most of their sales come from their own email list. So what most instructors do is they distribute some piece of content for in exchange for an email address, keep that email list warm and engaged, and then end up launching over a four to 10 day period to their email list. Um, what you'll notice is about 50% of the revenue you will make from your launch will happen in the last day, sometimes more, which is kind of reinforces why having a launch window is so important because otherwise a lot of these people will be on the fence forever. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, we can go into more detail in terms of which emails to send and stuff, but that's the general template of what has made successful launches. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Again, teachable.com slash Pat. If you want to check that out, um, man, you rock, man. Uh, looking forward to everything else you guys have going on. And uh, you and I obviously will continue to talk uh, behind the scenes as we work on my course and all that good, all that great stuff. Yes, sir. It's been a blast. All right, for sure. Take care. Take care. Awesome, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Anker from teachable.com. If you want to check out Teachable, you can check it out through my affiliate link, which is teachable.com slash pat. Again, that's teachable.com slash pat. I'm using this software. I love it. It made it really easy to set up the Will It Fly course. And uh, I'm just really excited about how these future courses are coming together on the platform too. So uh, thank you, Anker. I appreciate you. Again, teachable.com slash Pat. You can also get the show notes and the links and the resources mentioned in this show, as always, at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 218. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 218. Guys, I've, I've really been enjoying this podcast and I will continue to do it in the future for you. I know a lot of you have taken the information that I've shared here, the interviews that we've done uh, with other experts and other people, and, and have actually taken action with it. And I just love you for that. I, I'm so thankful that I have an audience who uh, is actually not just learning, but learning and putting things into place to make change in their lives and the lives of others too. I mean, we're all here to serve other people, I hope. Um, but I know a lot of you also need a little bit more help. Uh, I've been getting messages left and right from people who have been asking for more and, and deeper information about certain things. So what I've done is that I've actually put together a number of courses and there's more courses coming in the future thanks to your recommendations. If you go to smartpassiveincome.com slash courses, you'll see a list of the courses that are currently available there or that you can sign up for the wait list for. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. Check it out. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys listening in and I look forward to serving you next week. Until then, keep pushing forward, keep uh, working on those online courses. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's like amazing to think about having your own online course. I know because I'm working on one right now, um, but it's a lot of work, but you gotta put it in, you gotta put in the work and it really helps to have a great platform. So again, if you wanna check out Teachable, uh, if you wanna end up going with with that kind of platform, go to teachable.com slash pat. Again, that's teachable.com slash pat and uh, keep keep chugging away at it. You know, there's people out there who need your help. They need you to create a course and uh, don't let the technology stop you. Just create those videos, get in front of people and you got this. Cheers, take care and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.
So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 